Businesses tend to focus on revenue, profits, and getting loyal customers. But how about healthy workplace culture? You're listening to How I Turned the Corner, where Kendra Prospero leads eye-opening conversations that most business leaders avoid. The right way to address employee challenges. Listen to real-life stories of workplace struggles, giving you valuable advice on what must be done to make every employee truly satisfied and fulfilled in their job. This is for leaders who want to create great company cultures and for employees who want to do something to put an end to suffering at work in the most practical ways possible. Here's your host, Kendra. So let's think for a minute about the history of work. There have been times in the past that have been very disruptive, like the Industrial Revolution, a time that completely changed the way people did work. And more recently, in the past 50 years or so, the technical revolution. In both instances, when people embraced how these changes would transform their businesses, instead of fighting against it, they thrived and the others did not. I now believe that we are on the front lines of the people revolution, which is going to require us as leaders to be extremely focused on our people and be very flexible because people are complex. They cannot be systematized. And a system-based people agenda is no longer going to fly in this new phase of work. Our guest today, Yosh Eisbart, has seen this coming and has already started to adapt. He's a serial entrepreneur who has had a great exit and is now the CEO and co-founder of Fulfilled, which is a SaaS-based warehouse management system that is an all-in-one platform for hardware and software, providing real-time insight into how a warehouse operates. He, as the leader is a master of adaptation and flexibility and figuring out how to be the kind of leader who creates an environment where people thrive. He has countless examples of times he had to turn the corner and adapt. And as I've gotten to know him, I'm so inspired by him in so many ways. Yosh Eisbart, welcome to How I Turned the Corner. Thank you, Kendra. Thanks so much for having me. You're far too kind, far too kind. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the history between Nimble and Fulfilled. Like, Give us just a little bit of that journey, because I want to tie it into the story of how you've maybe transformed things a bit with your people. Sure, absolutely. So first and foremost, I think that so much of being at a seat of leadership is based upon those that you surround yourself with, of course. And so my journey is inexplicably intertwined with my co-founder, Michael Pytel, who we've been together since 2005. And as you mentioned, the previous company to Fulfilled, we started co-founded together in 2009. So we've been basically married for close to 20 years and our stories are very, very much kind of one and the same. So briefly in 2009, Michael and I, we self-funded, we bootstrapped an enterprise software and services company called Nimble, based here in Denver, Colorado. And it was uh, just the two of us. We both came from enterprise software experience, Michael, more from a technical side and me from a technical engineering background, but more on the people and on the sales side. And we decided to, you know, similar to what we're doing now with Fulfilled in the midst of another major disruption, this being or previous or even the tail end of COVID, Back in 2009, we were right in the midst of the Great Recession. So uh, a lot of experience in starting businesses in awesome entrepreneurial times because these are the great times to be able to take higher risk and be more disruptive. Anyway, 2009, we started the company. It was just the two of us. We focused on companies of scale, enterprise level, helping them do 
digital transformation within their enterprise stack, their software stack. And that included reselling enterprise software, primarily a product called SAP, implementation of that software, building out a 24 by 7, 365 production support mechanism for their business critical applications. And what we would do often is that a customer, whether a Nestle or a Pepsi or a Cintas or a whole list of companies uh, folks may not have heard of, we would build bespoke, complementary warehouse management solutions that also included hardware. What we never did back in 2000 or back in the nimble days is we never brought that IP to market. And that's what we're doing now. So our story of Fulfilled is not a bit, but it's an evolution of what we did in our past life. And we're having another go at it. Okay. I understand when you exited about 300 employees. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. In North America. Yep. Okay. And then, and you were kind of self-funded, which we are self-funded as well. We don't even have a bank, like a line of credit with a bank. Like <laughs> it's like, if we can't make it work with customer money, then maybe it isn't real. And so now you are VC backed, as I understand. Correct. Yep. And how many employees do you have now? We're tiny. We're 16 full-time employees okay. as we speak. Excellent. Congratulations. So how's that difference been for you? I mean, not only a services-based business and now a software-based business, but that funding model is different. Like everything about your leadership had to change, I imagine. I don't know how much leadership had to change. I would say that in our past company, which was around for us from 2009 to 2020, and they're still around and, and they're still doing great. I would say that I would hope to think that we grew as leadership in regards to how we approached people and culture and talent and the cultivation of that talent. What I would say is I think, and I would hope that what we're doing now and fulfilled is leveraging the lessons learned that we had in the past go round and not only the good, but probably learning more so from what we did wrong in our last life. So I wouldn't say our leadership has been that much different. I think it's that we've been able to kind of stand on the experience we had previously. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that you do different now between Nimble and Fulfilled as a leader. How did you grow? So I would say that one of the main differences I think that we're doing now, first off, in our last company, it was Michael and I, we were 50-50. We took no external funding. None of the folks as part of our company had any equity in it. We decided from day one that with Fulfilled, we wanted and quite frankly needed to have everybody have not just an emotional stake, but a literal stake in the success of the company. And we've gotten different consulting or recommendations or mentorship from different folks on either side saying, give equity, don't give equity, et cetera, et cetera. We knew that we wanted to make sure that down from the junior developer all the way up to the head of product, that everyone was going to have a stake in it. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, we're swinging for the fences here. Our last company, when we exited to a publicly traded European competitor. I mean, it was a good exit, but it wasn't an amazing exit. And this one, we were swinging for the fences. And so we want everyone to have a stake in it. We want everyone to have this ownership thinking mentality. And outside of just the aspirational piece of that or the goodwill component of that, quite frankly, it's good business. I mean, it's smart to have your folks 
every one of our employees right now, every one of our teammates, they have real ownership in the company, independent of their level of experience. I'm an old man and we've got some youngins that are dynamite and everyone from the most junior developer all the way to the most senior architect, they all have a literal equity stake in the company. So that was something very different that we decided we wanted to do this go round. Hmm, that's great. And have you seen the results be what you expected them to be in terms of that stake then? To be honest with you, I don't know if it really has made that much of a difference. I think that the talent that we've hired and the folks that we've hired, we've been very conscious of the type of DNA that we wanted to bring in. And all these folks are truly, I mean, hand on heart, without exception, are fully emotionally invested. And I think that maybe in some of the recruitment, the concept of an equity stake was a decision-making But we were so focused on hiring the right DNA and we worked hard at it and we were lucky in having many options that all these folks want to be here and they Mm want to be here because they want to be part of a startup. They want to be part of a company that has an ethos of everyone has a true seat at the table. Everyone has their voice to be heard. It's a collaborative environment. And they all signed up for it and they've continued to sign up for it. So sure, I we want everyone here to be millionaires for sure. And I think compensation, as you can appreciate, is an important component, but there's so much more that if, especially in a job market where talent is at a premium for employers, that in terms of finding the right talent, that compensation is a checkbox and folks feel like they're paid fairly and paid well, which we think we are, and it's a feedback we've been getting, it's more of the less financial-related components that make up a person's belonging and commitment to the company. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. McKinsey just dropped a study over the summer. They studied 16,000 people worldwide for why they quit their job. And the top five reasons four out of five had cost no money. The second reason people did leave actually was compensation, a total compensation package, which I've been anecdotally collecting this data since I started this business 12 years ago. Compensations never come up as a top item until just this last year because of all the economic factors though. But everything else, it's like meaningful work. It's inspiring leaders. It's feeling like they have a career path. They're not burning out. Like It's things we have control over as a leader. And so knowing that right there, you know, you've got ways to make a culture work outside of just compensation. So I'd almost say that your equity offer was part of your value proposition in the recruiting effort, but it's your values and that systems and the DNA that's keeping people there. Yeah, no, it's a super good point. I mean, there's the old adage, which I think can get stretched to something greater where people don't quit companies, they quit managers. Oh, yeah. And so people don't quit the the compensation, they quit the company based upon their feeling of exactly like you said, of self-worth and value and contribution and respect. And so no, I I totally resonates 100%. Mm -hmm. Are you guys all in office? Are you remote? Like what is some of the DNA you bring in and you look for? When we started bringing on people, it was at the beginning of 2021. And so that was still within the throes of COVID and virtual work, et cetera. 
we are working virtually. And again, alluding to my age, I always was, past tense, a manager who was very much about a butt to see. And I felt that maybe this was generational, maybe this was just folks I'd worked with in the past, but I was very keen on ensuring that we had folks within the office. And I think that was a bit of a blind spot. I feel it's important to have opportunities for teammates to be in the same physical space because magic does happen when you're around the whiteboard. And our team has been, in essence, virtual since inception. But what's been interesting is that our teammates have been asking to be more and more face-to-face. And in fact, some of them have proposed, and we've, we've done it, where the team, and not everybody, but some of the teams who are able, they've rented out Airbnbs in different parts of the planet. <laughs> and literally, and they would then, whether it was a handful or whether it was 10, would all congregate for a period of time and a company would pay for it. And sometimes we weren't even aware. Sometimes they just happen to do it on their own and saying, hey, I'm going to be in Colombia and they've got the ability to do that. Let's make sure we got good Wi-Fi and who wants to join me? And they've done that. And then in other cases, it's been brought up. We've rented out an Airbnb in Breckenridge. So to answer your question, and apologies, I'm a sales guy, is that we are virtual by definition and have aspirations to have some type of physical space when we're able, but also being a startup. And if we're able to be productive, be able to be continue to build culture and also be able to save money as a startup, it makes some sense kind of Mm -hmm. the stage where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I opened up my business, I wanted a lot of flexibility, but I also love being with people. So we had an office, but we had core hours And then we had flexible hours is how I started it years ago, right? Before COVID was even thought of. Our core hours though were like Thursday morning. (laughs) So just come to the office Thursday morning as a team. People would come in and out over the week and have customer meetings and meet and do various things like that. But I look back on that now and I think I actually done an analysis on how much money I was spending on an office space compared to how much use it was getting. Oh man, that's just an expense I don't want to think about. (laughs) But what about in that experience? Because you're definitely ahead of the curve. Did you feel as if there was any loss of productivity because of that model? Never. Because, well, I always have just treated people like adults. So we're very clear on our goals. And then I don't care when the work gets done or how it gets done, except under our boundaries, which are take care of your life, do what you need to do to take care of your life. That's our family first value. And the second one is get results beyond expectations, care for people, and we don't accept jerks and a couple others as well. But because we had those so clearly defined as our DNA and we hire for that and fire against it and everything, it's made it so easy. And I think giving people that much flexibility and not micromanaging their hours at all, like people just get an enormous amount of work done. And so I've seen incredible productivity with this model. That's why I've always been like, why aren't more people doing it? Like I see the results of it. I mean, I even look at myself, like I get so much done in 35 to 40 hours a week because I have 35 to 40 hours a week I want to give. And then the rest of the time I want to be with my family. And so I hustle in that timeline. Of course, I work more than that when needs be, but I don't want to do that every week, right? I want balance. So so yeah, it's worked well. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's one blind spot you had, which I really appreciate you saying that because we all do have those. And I do think that this people revolution that we're starting to see is going to require us to be really flexible and question everything. 
So when you now looking ahead or thinking now, like what's a belief you have that you're starting to feel as the edge of a blind spot that you're challenging? Really? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I know everything. So therefore, <laughs> I don't know if there are any blind spots. I think one of the things that we want to start doing is probably, and maybe this is going against what we just spoken about, I think it's important for us because we're so virtual that we do need to start having some more office hours, if you will, or some more opportunity for the team to connect on a more regular basis. I think that's really important. And I think what I'm also hearing, not just within our company, but within kind of colleagues' companies, is that especially some of the folks that are newer to the workforce or right out of school, they are asking for more FaceTime with folks. And whether it's FaceTime with colleagues or whether it's FaceTime with managers, I mean, so much of mentorship can happen in kind of the non-program moments. And that doesn't mean that you can't do it over Zoom, but we all know on how fatigued we are from web meetings and constantly being on, which is it's not natural. And so I think that beyond kind of the quarterly get-togethers that we already have programmed, I think that it will benefit us as we get to our next funding round, or if not sooner, when we can afford it, that we do plan a flag somewhere where we have an office and folks can come in when they want. And we start scheduling maybe one day, two days a week, which the team's asking that we have an opportunity to get together. Because I think that's important. I think we are, as humans, we require connection. And it can't just be always about kind of the release schedule or the next customer or the next whatever. It's also being able to talk to somebody about, and again, this can happen over Zoom, but also being face-to-face with somebody and being able to connect face-to-face. Yeah, I agree. I feel that way too. I definitely have felt some of that just remote fatigue where I just start noticing myself feeling like I just want to be with people. And then luckily my team is all local now. So we can come together as a team. So we are doing that once a month because it's possible, but we don't have an office space. We're just renting like an office evolution, we work type place. And that makes it easy and cheap, right? But I've also kind of thought like long-term, I still really feel like the model we originally had worked really well, which is have those core hours, but then have flexible hours where people can take care of their life. And I'm recommending that now to companies because I'm seeing people do this. It's not ill-intentioned, but it's not working, which is this hybrid environment. So like my husband's company, they're like, you come in two days a week, but then he'll show up on like Tuesday and Thursday and nobody's there. And it's like, well, that's not solving the problem. We want to collaborate. We want to interact. So it's like, it actually does need to be like Tuesday and Wednesday. Everybody comes in. Those are those, that idea of the core hours versus flexible hours. And I think that feels like something that would really work well. I don't know. I guess we'll have to just adapt and see, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now, I mean, it sounds like you're going to continue to grow. When you think about the next round of growth for yourself, what are you seeing coming down for that? Like, what's the plans for Fulfilled? Well, knock on wood, we definitely want to grow. If you ain't growing, you're dying. So, especially as a startup, whether it's trying to acquire talent or et cetera, folks also want to be part of part of a winner. And so that's super important. We right now, we just closed our first priced round. And so we had raised money previously in last month. We closed our C round, nice, uh, which is great. Thank you. Super exciting. Amazing investors and folks around the table. All of our previous investors 
without exception, all invested again. So they all did their pro rata to maintain their percentage ownership. Plus we had a brand new investor out of the Midwest called Heartland Ventures, who has been phenomenal, truly, where they have been a true partner in helping us in customer acquisition, which is, in my experience, a bit rare from the venture capital space. A lot of it is more of the capital and less about kind of the doing. And money is important, don't get me wrong. But anyways, I think our plan over the near term is to continue to execute on the plan that we've put in place over the last two years to continue to execute for rolling out our product, gaining more customers, building out uh, the extended pipeline and turning those at the top of the funnel into conversions at the bottom of the funnel and everywhere in between in a a path towards in 18 months time, having that reoccurring revenue metric that positions us strongly for Series A. I think the Series A, when we're really going to bring in some significant money, knock on wood, that's when we move from 20 people to 50 people. Because the main difference, which is not remotely prophetic and super obvious, is that when you're building a product-based company, it's very, very different than when you're more services-centric. And building a global, multilingual, SOC 2, type 2, complex, AI, ML, location-aware platform that integrates to ERP and other connected devices, that requires a lot of really smart people to build some very complex software. Absolutely. And right now, we are cranking away. It ain't we, the team is. The team is cranking away, putting in all hours of the night for a go-live that we have planned in two weeks for a major globally recognized name brand. And when that's successful, then we're going to continue to roll it out to the 129 other warehouses they have in North America. So long-winded in summary, we want to continue to execute on plan. And then if over the period of time we can afford it and we can be really opportunistic in bringing on additional dynamite talent, we will. But the real push for new teammates is going to be a bit bit in the future. Okay. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And what kinds of people would you be looking for, do you think, at that point? So right now, we're a team of 16. 14 of our folks are engineers. And then myself and one other fella, Dan Jackson, we are focused on sales, marketing, biz dev, partnership, channel, those types of things. So we were going to continue to need additional rock star engineers. And then as we want to focus more on scaling our sales engine and our marketing engine, we're going to need to bring on some account executives as well as some strong marketing folks who have great SaaS based marketing expertise. And then eventually, probably post Series A, we're going to need some C level folks. And those C-level folks are, I mean, right now, as we did 17 years ago, I'm sending out invoices to customers. I'm using QuickBooks. Michael is in Insperity and using 
our PEO as our payroll platform and health benefits and 401k contribution, et cetera. So our objective is just to bring in folks that specialize in this stuff and can help us get better at a senior leadership perspective and then delegate. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, gosh, when that time comes, hopefully you can use this interview to tell people what a great place it is to work. So I think it'll be a place that a number of people are going to thrive. So I'm excited to see that happen in the future for you. Thank you. Well, gosh, Yos, thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciate this conversation and I hope we can build a friendship around this because I want to continue to see how you're doing. Awesome. No, no, no. Thank you for your time and thank you for allowing me to share a bit about Fulfilled and all the stuff that we're doing there. So thank you. Yes. Thank you for joining this exciting episode. We hope this discussion brings you closer to a better, healthier, and more rewarding workplace everyone deserves to be a part of. If you want more content like this, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at turningthecornerllc.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to share this with your friends in the corporate world. And together, let's make this space a hub of growth and job satisfaction. If everyone loves where they are, they can always give their best without regrets. That's all for now. See you on the next one.